Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 22. Fire! Fire! Hi, welcome back. I think this time it's only been two weeks since the last show, so I'm on schedule, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, This episode, as you could guess from the intro, is going to be more firefighting games. This time I'm talking about Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Published by Indie Boarding Cards. I'm also going to talk a little bit about. Well, I'm not sure exactly. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's sort of about what are the goals of playing a game, and and I'm also going to do an unboxing of D-Day Dice. I went ahead. I got my copy of uh, the game the other day from Valley Games via Kickstarter. It finally shipped uh, this month, and I was one of the recruit level backers. So I got the basic game with just all the extra swag. So let me jump into that, but before I do, here's some few items of news I've come across. There's not much. I think all of it is uh, Kickstarter-based. First, I already mentioned Flashpoint is on Kickstarter again. It's actually an expansion for Flashpoint, a second expansion with two new maps. Again, double-sided boards. This time it's two double-sided boards. They're, they're half the size of the previous board, so it's a two-story building on each double-sided board. Today, Valley Games announced that they're going to be releasing on Kickstarter Airborne My Pocket, which is a originally, I think, based on Zombie in My Pocket, a solitaire game. Airborne in My Pocket is designed for one or more players. However, you buy each deck of cards, I guess, per player individually. So if you buy one deck, you're playing solo. If you buy three decks, you could have three people playing. As I said, it'll be on Kickstarter, and Valley Games is publish- publishing. It's by the same person that made uh, D-Day Dice. Emmanuel, I forget his last name. There is, if you back D-Day Dice and you get Airborne in my pocket, there's also a an expansion that lets you combine the two games somehow. I haven't decided if I'm going to back it or not yet because the lowest level, you have to get two decks. Actually, I don't think I want to. I just, if I were, it would just be for one deck. That's not an option. So I think I'll just wait and see. And there's also a game on Kickstarter now. It was just rebooted. Uh, per the designer, it t- it's called um, the Battle of Red Cliffs, or maybe the Battle at Red Cliffs. It's a a TZQ TZQ variant, which is a, a mahjong game. This one is for one to eight players. And I don't know much about mahjong, except that it's based on on a bridge, and bridge is a four player team game. So it's two against two. So I'm not sure how he managed to do a, a, a basically a bridge variant for one to eight players. And it's cooperative. So that one looks interesting. It's a reboot. He's, he was trying to raise $20,000. It didn't look like it was going to make it there in time. So he started it over with a go of $10,000. And is making the box modern. I think changing a few of the components and things to make it more financially feasible. His goal was to, to have it backed in 15 days. But due to a small error, it's going it's to be a 30-day project. But it looks neat. Check it out. I like the artwork on it. I noticed on Kickstarter there's also a link to a solitary review on BGG, but I haven't had a chance to read that yet. Okay, so that's it for the news. So let's jump over to the D-Day Dice unboxing. Actually, I recorded this about four days ago, last Tuesday, because I got it then, and I really wasn't going to wait till today to to unbox it just for the recording. So I decided to record that separately. Okay, so I got my copy of D-Day Dice today. showed up uh, via UPS. Got here early this afternoon, but he said to wait and open it and record the opening to do an unboxing in case any of you actually 
decided not to get D-Day dice for whatever reason on Kickstarter, or haven't gotten yours yet, I suspect if you did try and back it on Kickstarter, you probably got your copy by the time you hear this. Because I think I'm one of the last people ever to get their copy. Anyway, the box is... Let me see. The box is 12 inches by 18 inches by about 6 or 8 inches deep. It's surprisingly large. Uh, I get my box cutter, cutter, aka my Swiss Army knife. Open the box, and there is packing material. A lot of uh, paper, which I will reuse for something. Probably to pack something else up and send it someday. Right away, there's two boxes, a tin. And a boxed game. Ooh. Size of the box, it's sort of like a bookshelf game, but smaller. But at least as deep. Looks like it's about two inches deep. The size is maybe about the size of a Carcassonne or something like that, otherwise, or Alhambra. There's that. And then in the bottom, there is a little bat. There's a little, uh, Canvas bag inside. Actually, it's a big canvas bag. It says D-Day sign on it. Really nice. D-Day dice, it says on it. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and open up the tin. Let's see what's in here. Okay, there's a lot of stuff in the tin. There is a big pouch of dice. A sealed bag with red and blue and white dice, all speckled. There's one, two, three, four, five little pouches. D-Day with D-Day with a D-Day dice logo on it. They look like they're made out of Velcro Ets or not Velcro, but um suede. Fake suede maybe. There's a D-Day dice magnet, which I've actually seen at my game store. There is a Kickstarter 2011 award. The recipient this is a magnet. The recipient of this award is one of the 2428 supporters of the D-Day Dice Kickstarter campaign of 2011. Good work, soldier. Emmanuel Queen and Valley Games, thank you. So now I have a new magnet. There are two new magnets. There's a little Ziploc bag with four black dice. There's instructions for the MGF dice, the black dice. And that's a little laminated card. There's one, two, three, four, five little decks of mini cards. There's the K-Pack. There's two copies of the K-Pack. The Kickstarter Special Award cards. There's a... Badges. The Mini Expansion. And the Distinguished Service Pack. There is... A Life Counter. One Life Counter for the that says Legendary Support in the back. It looks like it's all torn wood or something like that. On one side. And little four... One, two, three, four... Six little wheels you could spin to keep track of your health and other stuff, or your number of soldiers. Oh, there's a checklist. I got a tin, K-maps, MGF card, pouch, blue, pouch, brown, pouch, tan, pouch, olive, and pouch black. MGF dice, bloody dice, yeah. K-pack, distinguished service pack, K-counter, badges, D-Day Dice Magnet, Award Magnet, Messenger Bag, and D-Day Dice. Oops, so what else is in here? 
finally there is a board board K which is uh, Sword Beach 2 on one side I'm not sure what the other side is because the rules are covering it it's shrink wrapped battle map number 20 Normandy June 6 1944 0727 Queen White sector is what it says on the one side so that's in the tin let me put all this back in okay where's those dice Okay, now there's a canvas bag inside a plastic bag. This is really big. It's basically lay flat in the bottom of the box and took up the full width. It's a tan-colored canvas bag with Velcro closures. It says D-Day dice in the front. It's got two little straps in the front. I guess you could hang grenades on them or something. There's two big pockets in the front. When you open the flap, there's two pockets, one on each side. And then there's a big section in the middle. It really looks like it's big enough to hold uh, the game, the tin, and all the expansions comfortably. It's very neat. My man purse broke and I've needed a new one, so maybe this will be my new man purse. I don't know. Okay. Now let's open the game itself. It's a nice box. It's about the same size as the tin, if that means anything to you. It looks like it's... It's about the size of maybe an Alhambra box, but it's about two inches deep, not quite as deep as Alhambra. Maybe a little bit larger though. Let's try to pick this shrink wrap without cutting the game. Here we go. I'm making a big mess. Okay, the first thing I see is cardboard. So just a nice piece of cardboard to keep everything in place. A rule book with really nice texture on it. It's like a linen finish. It smells freshly printed. It looks old and worn, which is a really neat effect. One, two, three, four, five, six pages of supporters at the end of the book. That's a lot of people. Uh, okay, there is four boards, okay, or cards, those look like uh, reference cards for each player, one, two, three, four maps, double-sided, Omaha Beach, Exercise Tiger, Utah Beach, Gold Beach, Juno Beach, Pont du Hawk, Sword Beach, Pont du Hawk, and Merville Battery. And these are maps number one through eight. Again, it's a nice thickness, not quite a board, but very close to the thickness of a game board. At least as thick as, say, an Alhambra scoreboard or something. Okay, here we go. A do or die life counter thingy, or health tracker, whatever it is. A bunch of little tokens and counter sheet. And four, three more life trackers. Each one's in a different color. Ooh, neat looking dice. One for each player in different colors. And four black dice. These are the first dice I've seen with pips instead of special symbols. And finally, a brick of dice. These are a little bit smaller. They're not 60 millimeter, I think. They look like 14. One, two, three, six. 24 dice, all red, white, and blue. So 
That is a lot of stuff in this. And an insert at the bottom of the box. Alright, so that's my D-Day dice. Now they've all unpacked everything and made a big mess, I will carefully put it away and try it another night. I was gonna... I want to talk about winning and losing in a game and what are the goals of a game. About a year, year and a half ago, I saw a thread on BGG where somebody was asking if there are any cooperative games that don't have a black and white lose winning condition. It's more of a... Uh, you get a score and your score determines how you did, but it doesn't have a, a black and white point at which you say you won or you lost. So there's discussion on that. I think somebody had one suggestion of a game most games, pretty much every other cooperative game was either just black and white winning condition or you there's a score, but there's also a condition first. An example of that is the, uh, the Lord of the Rings game by Reiner Knizia, in which you either win or lose by getting the ring to Mordor or not getting to Mordor. But if you do win, then there's also a score on top of that to see how well you won. So there was one reply on that thread. The person said, that maybe a win-lose condition is fundamental to a cooperative game. And so I was wondering about that, and, you know, is that true for a solo game? I don't think so, because there's definitely solo games out there that have scores only. Well, I'm pretty sure there are. Actually, I can't think of any offhand. There's, well, no, it's not true. A game like um, the States of Siege live-in mass game, you when, you when the game ends, well, there is a definite lose condition. It, which is, if uh, any of the armies reach Paris, you lose. But if that doesn't happen and you run out of cards and you go through the entire deck, then you might win. So you tally up your score and then you check in a chart to see how well you did. But anyway, so that led me to think, so really what are the goals of gaming, and especially solo gaming? I think I came up with three different goals. I'm sure there's many other ways to, to describe it, but these are the ones I came up with. One is you're playing for a narrative. I mean, that's that's the goal of playing. You're playing because you want to tell a story. Winning and losing isn't necessarily important as much as how satisfying a story you got. A second goal is for the challenge, and this is definitely about winning or losing, I think. Well, and these aren't all black and white because there's going to be crossing over between them. But when you're playing for a challenge, you're trying to meet a specific goal, which is often going to be based on rules. Probably a third reason for playing is for ha is to have fun. This is definitely a less tangible goal, and uh, goes hand in hand with the other two goals. But exactly what is fun and is it is just totally up to each individual. And finally, I did think of a fourth goal, but it doesn't really apply to solo games. It's socializing. A lot of people play games just to socialize with their friends and hang out and have fun talking with them and interacting with them. Not a lot of that going on when you're playing a solo game. Okay, so now I want to look at those three items I came up with in a little more detail. First, if you're playing for the narrative, as I said, winning and losing is really not as important as telling a story. You could still tell a good story and lose. As a matter of fact, sometimes losing makes a story even more fun. I think a lot of times when folks play a war game, they're playing for the narrative more than for winning or losing, especially because it seems a lot of the solo war games out there a lot of the solo war gamers are playing multiplayer games and playing both sides. So in that case, you're not really playing a win or lose unless you're favoring a side. Chances are you're playing more to see how the battle played out and sort of recreate it or maybe experiment with it. At least, 
that's just me hypothesizing because I don't actually have a lot of experience with that. I think a lot of times the narrative is why we buy the game. It's because it's more of the theme than the gameplay. You know, a war gamer likes war games, and if you pasted the rules onto a ch- as a chess variant or a firefighting game or a farming game, the the war gamer probably wouldn't care about it, even if it were the same mechanics. I think for solo RPGers, narrative is definitely the most important part because the role-playing games, it's really more about telling a story than anything else. Though I remember when I used to play D&D with friends, it definitely became a lot about winning and leveling, which is not at all narrative. And actually, that reminds me of when I used to play And finally, I think even an abstract game can offer a narrative in that the flow of the game and which side is winning and which side is losing, say in a two-player game of chess where you're playing both sides yourself, there's still a sense of narrative of how the game evolved, even if that narrative isn't wrapped in a theme. Okay, so the second reason for playing is the challenge. There's probably a better word for, than challenge, but that's what I came up with. And this is, it's not the same as playing to win all the time, but it, I think it usually is. When, when you open a game, your challenge is to, to beat that victory condition. And again, this ties into the original topic, I think. Some challenges are self-imposed, and I think that happens especially once you've beat the game, you want to play it again, but you know how to beat it easily. You might give yourself an extra challenge where you want to win by a certain score, or you want to win with a certain handicap going on, or not only do you want to win, but you want to take over some extra territories. Or maybe you want to win in a certain amount of time, but you know these are extra challenges. They might be tied to victory condition, they might not be tied to it at all. It might be... You know, I don't care if I win or lose. I want to have control a certain section of the board by turn 10. So these self-imposed challenges, I think, are probably actually a good way to add more life to a game you've already started to get a little bit bored of. And not all challenges are self-imposed. Some might be uh, variants offered by the, the game designer. And we'll see that Flashpoint actually has some if you get the first expansion. And since I said that the challenges are maybe come from the des- publisher or the designer. Sometimes they might just be called scenarios. Finally, the third p- reason for playing, I think, at least solitaire, is for fun. You know, th- this is highly subjective. Something that's fun for one person isn't fun for another person. So it's hard to say what makes a game fun. I think a game with a lot of narrative may be fun for one person and not for another. Uh, I think generally everybody's going to want a game to be challenging for it to be fun and when the challenge runs out of it then I think you'll find it's no longer really as fun as it used to be. On the other hand a game that's too challenging is also not fun. So I don't know what else to say about that. I have found that sometimes the expectation of the game impacts how much fun I have with it and then how much I like it. Okay so I went and talked a bunch and I don't really know where I went with all that but there we go there's three different ways, three different reasons people play, at least one way to look at it, because of the, or, yeah, because of the narrative, because of the challenge provided, or because of the fun of the game. And so now that's sort of going to lead into Flashpoint, and I think as I talk about Flashpoint, I'll probably bring up a few of these points again. So let's jump into that review. Today's game is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. It was designed by Kevin Lansing 
and published by Indie Board and Cards. It's a cooperative game about firefighting. It was originally published as Flashpoint and distributed through GameCrafter, the print-on-demand website. Then uh, last year, it was picked up by Indie Board and Cards and published via Kickstarter. It did really well. I think because of that, they ended up being able to do an extra first expansion and a Kickstarter-exclusive expansion, some firefighter meeples, and maybe some other stuff. So this is a cooperative game. It's about firefighting. In it, players are controlling a team of firefighters, and you're going into a building, which is on fire, and your goal is to save 7 out of 10 people in that building. Once you save 7 of them, you win the game. On the other hand, if the fire gets too out of control, the building could take structural damage. If it collapses on you, you lose the game. Or if 4 out of the 10 people die, you lose the game because you can no longer save 7. So the game brings... Enough characters for I think five players. It brings two bo- or well one double-sided board. Uh, the board represents a building with various rooms and doors you could go through, and it brings a bunch of counters like fires and hot spots and door markers and a bunch of wooden damage tokens and some cards to represent different types of specialist firefighters, and those are used in the advanced game. Basically, each turn, you have the option of moving your character. You have action points you can spend to move, to fight fires, destroy walls to make it easier to get through the building, and something. I think there's one more action that I can't remember. And Oh, and you could carry people, but that's really just a moving action. So each turn, the firefighter can spend his action points, and then you roll to spread the fire. You roll a die, and two dice, a d6 and a d8, and that's going to give you a position on the board. And you add a smoke mark to the board. If there's already smoke on there, instead you add fire. If there's already a fire mark in that space, it causes an explosion and the fire spreads more quickly to adjacent spaces. If the fire spreads from an, because of an explosion and it spreads through a wall, that wall takes damage. Once you run out of damage markers, then that building collapses. So anyway, so that's the turn. And then after, the, uh, after you roll and add the fire, the next firefighter will go. That's basically the game. That's at least the basic family version of the game. The advanced game has some other rules. For example, there's hotspot markers that let the fire spread faster. If there, if you roll the dice to add smoke and there's a hotspot marker, you're going to roll again. And So you can add two smoke that turn. And if there's another hotspot marker on the space you rolled the second time, you're going to roll a third time and so on. So potentially it could add to a lot of fires. The advanced game also has specialist rolls. Instead of getting four action points, you get a four action number of action points depending on which role you have, and each role has different unique abilities. There is a generalist that gets five action points instead of four. There's a paramedic that lets you heal one of the people, and instead of having to carry them, which costs two action points, it's kind of expensive to carry a person, they'll just walk with you. So you can just walk to the exit at your normal one point per movement and get them out. Or you could walk with a person and carry a second person at the same time. There is an imaging technician, which honestly I haven't used a lot, which lets you flip over one of the people counter to figure out if they're really a person or a decoy, because I didn't say before, but when you start the game, there's three people markers on the board, or they're called points of interest. There's 50 markers in the, that you're going to go through in the game. Five will be blank, five will have people. So you really don't know as, you, as a firefighter where the people are, you suspect there's somebody over there, you're going to go look. 
You may be right. When you flip over the counter, it might be a person. Or you might have just been wrong. There's nothing there. That's the whole point of having the blank ones, I think. Um, so there's a there's a driver. I didn't say before. There's a fire truck and an ambulance in the advanced rules. And you actually move it around the outside of the building. The fire truck could uh, shoot water can into the building and put out fire much more quickly than a person. Did I forget that action? Did I forget to say that one of the basic actions is to fight the fire? <laughs> I might have, and that's kind of important. Anyway, so the, the driver specialist could shoot the cannon more easily and could drive the truck around. Though any firefighter could drive the truck around. There is a rescue specialist, which I think has a couple extra action points to damage walls more quickly to make you get through them or to move faster, I don't recall. There's a captain, which lets the captain could spend a couple extra action points above his normal four to move any of the other firefighters on the board. And I think there's a couple other roles, but I don't remember offhand. So in a very quick summary nutshell, that's the game. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I've played the game about eight or nine times, seven or eight times now. I've played the basic boards that come with the game, and I've played the first expansion. It's got two more maps. One is a high-rise building, and the other one is some brownstone buildings that are really close together, so you got like two houses without doors between them, and the fire could be at either side. So it's harder to navigate through that one. I played the high-rise, but I didn't play the brownstone. I've played the family version, I've played the advanced rules at the various levels of difficulty, and I've played solo and with other people. I found I enjoyed the game pretty much most ways. I didn't enjoy the family game. I played the first time by myself, and that was pretty much enough for me. However, I did play with my kids, which are four and six, and that worked out really well. They could actually play the game and understood the mechanics and how to put out the fires and how to move and spend their points and all that. And they had a good time, so so I'll probably play the family game more with them. But when I'm playing solo, I definitely like the advanced rules. I found the two easier levels not that engaging, so I've after playing each of those once, I've gone ahead and got to advanced rules, and those worked a lot more better for me. The game starts with more fire on the board, and there's more hotspots, so the fire tends to spread more quickly. So it's definitely a higher level challenge. However, because of the way the game is set up, that you roll to spread the fire it may end up that the fire spreads in a way that's very conveniently, or that's very convenient for you, or it may spread in a very inconvenient way. So the game tends to be pretty pretty chaotic that way. I also really like having the different roles in the advanced game, though I have found that I quickly keep picking the same two roles over and over. I really enjoy them. I'm not going to say which, so that if you play the game, you could decide for yourself what they are. Maybe they don't work for you, maybe there's others you like. I also found that uh, I've played with two, solo I've played with two, three, and four firefighters. I don't like two so much, I don't like four so much. Two because there's not as much to do, four because it's harder to keep track of everything I think. So three three different firefighters seem to work pretty well. Uh, I also did a written review about the game, which is pretty much the same as what I'm saying here. But in it, I had mentioned that I hadn't tried this playing with just one firefighter. It didn't seem like a good idea. It probably just wouldn't work out. Somebody replied that they did play the original version, Flashpoint, the uh, the Gamecrafter edition, with just one firefighter and enjoyed it that way. So I think I will go ahead and try this one that way. Th- they said, yeah, you do spend a lot of time running back and forth in the building, but it, it still ended up being fun. 
thematically I like playing with more than one character. I don't usually like playing a solo game, a cooperative game with two characters or three characters because it doesn't feel right since I'm not actually two or three people. But in Flashpoint, you know, you're controlling a team of firefighters and realistically nobody's ever going to go into a burning building by themselves, at least not a professional firefighter. So thematically controlling more than one character works for me. The expansion, as I mentioned, has the double-sided board, but it also includes a new firefighter role. The I believe it's the engineer, which he can remove hot spots and he can repair damaged walls. And it also has a bunch of variants on the back, which you know, is like I was talking earlier to different challenges. Some of the variants included a let me see. One of the variants was a much harder difficulty, or as they said, the original difficulty as they had envisioned it. Another variant has you not switch roles. I didn't mention it before, but in, in the game, the advanced roles, you could always switch from whatever role you have, your specialist card, to any different other specialist. You go to the fire truck and you spend two action points to switch. And from then on, you're that new role and the other roles available if anybody else wanted to take it. So they suggest playing without switching the whole game. Switching roles is very neat and it's very handy because, well, the game tends to be really tactical because you're trying to react to the fires that are spreading and you're at one end of the building trying to save somebody or doing something and suddenly because of a couple turns and just bad die rolls the fires got really out of control somewhere else and maybe another point of interest marker is now in danger of burning down so the game tends to be pretty tactical and when stuff like that happens sometimes you think your best choice is to change one of your firefighter roles to deal with a new situation so that ability tends to be pretty neat and pretty fun to, to do. I also find a lot of times it doesn't work that well for me. I don't know why. But one of the advanced rules, or one of the variants or scenarios, was to play with the same firefighters throughout the game and not switch at all. And uh, that board, that expansion probably has like seven or eight scenarios in there you could try. Now I believe the game is currently out of print. I may be wrong. Well, that's not true. It just became available again at Barnes & Noble. That was at my local Barnes & Noble yesterday, and I didn't see it there. But it is now available at Barnes & Noble. And the new edition actually brings little plastic firefighters. The original edition brought little pawns. Now, the edition I have is actually with the pawns, but I do have the set of plastic firefighters. Because I should say I have this game because I actually contacted any board and cards and asked it for a review copy. And they were generous enough to go ahead and do that. So when they sent me the game, they also sent me the plastic figures to play with. I have played with the pawns and I have played with the plastic figures. I find the pawns easier to use in that they take up less space on the board and the the little squares in the rooms are get kind of crowded when you have a, a pawn and a fire marker or a smoke marker and a point of interest in a hot spot. So using the pawns makes it a little easier to maintain everything on the board. But the fire, the plastic figures are just so much more fun. You know, I tried it once with the pawns and I haven't gone back to it. I don't mind the crowding. I also mentioned already the game is on Kickstarter again. Actually, the ex a new expansion is on Kickstarter. It brings, I already said it's a two-story, two two-story buildings. However, if you don't have the game, you could get the game and or the first expansions on the current Kickstarter promotion for a little more money. And I, it's it's not quite clear. I think you get the original version, not the new Plastic Firefighter edition, but you will get Plastic Firefighters as long as there's 
don't have any available or something like that. Or I think everybody gets a plastic firefighter. I'm not sure. You'd want to check out the Kickstarter page and you know figure it out for yourself. The production quality of the game is really high. I was really impressed when I first opened it. The the box is nice and sturdy. The the fire markers are just a nice big round tokens, cardboard tokens, and they just seem really neat. The points of interest are nice. The hotspot markers are little tiny round things. Don't like those as much. The the firefighter plastic figures are great. And the cards are nice quality, and I like the artwork. I'm I'm really happy with the production quality. Except for maybe the little itty bitty hotspot markers. As I said, I really have enjoyed the tactical aspect of it. I like having to deal with the fires and situations that arise. It's a little bit fiddly in the setup. The setup always feels like it takes really long. I don't think it actually takes as long as it feels like it does. But for some reason, setting up all the fires and little hotspot markers and the counters and all the points of interest markers and all that and getting that stuff out of their little baggies and onto the table and organize feels like it takes a long time so I dislike that about it the game plays probably in about an hour not sure exactly but that's a pretty good estimate and I found I I have won often I have lost a few games also they've all been fun even when I've lost the last game I played I lost horribly like I, th- I think I managed to save one person maybe and then the building collapsed on me. So that game probably lasted 15 minutes, maybe 20. And you know, I was ready to try it again. I didn't because it was late, but I was ready to. Okay, I think that's it for this one. You know, Unfortunately, I don't think there are any more firefighting games out there. So I'm not going to be able to start a show with fire, fire again. The best I could come up with maybe if I play a game about cooking or monks, I could yell, Fryer, Fryer! Maybe Flyer, Flyer, if I have a a flight simulator type game or something, Wings of War. If anybody does know any other firefighting games I haven't talked about, let me know. I have I have reviewed Feurio, Smoke Jumpers, and now Flashpoint. So if there are any others out there, let me know. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you would like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected by a Creative Commons license. The song and copyright information can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons, non-commercial, share-alike license. Thanks for listening. This is a test. One, two, three. This is a test. This is a test. This is a test.